Every once in a while, if I'm honest and I take the time to do some reflection, I realize that I'm the villain of the story. Have you ever had that uncomfortable realization where you realize that you've been the bad guy? You've been the aggressor, you've been not Luke Skywalker, you've been Darth Vader, and not in that last minute redemption kind of way, in that I kill and choke the people that disagree with me kind of way. It's a weird thing because we like to write our own stories, right? We like to say, well, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing the right thing and we justify it and we explain it. Well, we're, we were really the good guy when we did this awful thing because, well, if you only saw it from my point of view, it would make sense. But that is just kind of a way of ducking out of repentance. Sometimes if we really are honest with ourselves, we have to admit that yes, we have been the villain, we have done evil, and we need to repent and apologize and make it, make it right if we can. Because we want to rationalize it, we want to just explain it away as a mistake, but the root of the matter is that you've probably been selfish. I know I have. And that's caused harm to other people. So when I was reading through, through Amos, I, I saw like this kind of subtle thing going back and forth between Amos and the priest and the king, right? So you've got these, these three guys. And Israel is supposed to be the good guy. Israel is supposed to be the hero. Israel is supposed to be the one through whom all nations are going to be blessed. And so you read the Old Testament expecting that whatever Israel and whatever the king of Israel does will be good things. We read through the story of David, and he killed the giant Goliath, and then he sets it up and says, it is only by God that I have done these things. But then later in the story, David sees a beautiful woman, and he has her husband killed so he can make her his wife. And so you have the hero who has somehow become the villain. So Israel, they have the covenant. God has chosen them as his people, and yet they had done evil. Enter the prophet Amos. So in the beginning of the book of Amos, he pronounces this, this punishment on many people groups. He goes through, and it's the Moabites and the Edomites and all these other ites, you know. Um, and he says, well, woe is you for three reasons, and for four you will be punished. And he has this kind of like ritualized, kind of repetitive sequence at the beginning of the book, right? So you can flip through and you can see that it's not just Israel that gets singled out. But towards the end of the list, he says, and you, Israel, for three reasons, You've done what is wrong, and for four reasons, you will be punished. And so you've got Israel at this time. They haven't yet been exiled to Babylon, which is the big, like, huge, traumatic event in the history of the people of Israel. When they're conquered and they're taken off to Babylon, that's the time of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar, and the big bunny, if you've seen the VeggieTales video. So if you've got all this going on, right? You know, it's before the exile. And so Israel and Judah are still standing as separate kingdoms. They each have their king. They're each claiming to be God's chosen people. And they're each kind of claiming sovereignty over the other. They're still trying to play the role of the hero. But yet we keep seeing these prophets getting sent with these dire warnings saying, you guys have turned away. You guys are becoming the villain. And God's not going to let that stand forever. And so Amos comes with another message that's like that one. He says, 
Thus says the Lord for these three transgressions of Israel, for four I will not revoke punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go in to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments that were taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they've imposed. So Amos kind of like, you know, that's not subtle, right? Amos comes right out and he hits him between the eyes. These are not accidents. These are not minor transgressions. This is sacrilege in the temple. This is all sorts of deviancy in the temple. This is taking the command that God has given us to look out for those who are in need and then shoving them out of the way. Like they, there's nothing subtle about this. It's a description of a people who have lost their sense of compassion. It's a description of a people who have lost their reverence for God. This sense of fear, not in the I'm afraid I'm going to die kind of way, but in the this is sacred, this is holy, and I don't know completely if I belong here. I need to align myself with God. I need to be, I need to be aware of who he is. That, that kind of a holy, awe-inspiring kind of fear. So when the Israelites start playing dirty to take advantage of the righteous and taking advantage of those who have no power, they definitely have become the villain. And so this is, this is kind of like turning everything on its head, right? Because the king of Israel is walking around going, I am the king of Israel. I am the king of God's chosen people. The king of Judah is walking around going, I am in charge of Jerusalem and God's holy temple that Solomon built. Of course we're the good guys. Who is this upstart Amos guy who thinks that he can say otherwise? And so the question becomes, well, who are we identifying with in this story? Do we think of ourselves as Amos, the one that's got it right even though everyone else has it wrong? Or are we maybe a little bit more like the Israelites than we'd like to admit sometimes? Maybe it's been a while since you've gotten drunk in church like they did. Maybe you haven't had sex near an altar recently. Maybe you haven't physically shoved the homeless out of your way as you're walking down the street. But I bet if we thought about it for a while, we could each think of a time that we've been selfish when God would rather have us show compassion. I bet there are times that we've taken what God intended to be holy and we've treated it carelessly. My personal example is that my body is supposed to be a temple of God and yet I've been trying to lose the same 30 pounds for about eight years now. And it started out as trying to lose 15. You know, and so I'm, I'm taking what my body is, this, this holy temple that is supposed to be, and instead of just eating what I need to eat, I eat what I want to eat. And I take this thing that is intended to be holy, and I eat in a selfish way. I could make all sorts of excuses for that. Maybe you're making excuses for me, and maybe you think I'm being too hard on myself. But that's the root of the issue. I've taken something that was intended to be holy and I've done what I wanted to do instead. Because cake is good and I'm weak. But see, when we do finally realize what we've done wrong, 
does our apology come with an asterisk at the end? Now, do our terms and conditions apply when we say, I'm sorry? Or is it followed by that guy who talks really fast at the end of the commercials? You know, like, the, like this product is the best in the world, except under these commercials. You know what I mean? Do you apologize where you're like, I'm really sorry that I did that, but it really wasn't my fault and I just going to... You know what I mean? We're really good at that because we need to be the hero of this story. We need to be in the center. We need to be the guy who fixes it or the woman who fixes it. We need to put on our white hat and ride to someone's rescue because, God forbid, we'd be the one who tied them up and put them on the railroad, railroad tracks to begin with, you know? Every single trope and story out there, we need to be the hero, and yet sometimes compassion and repentance and being honest with ourselves would require us to admit that's not who we are. So the the priest, Amaziah, from the scripture reading in Amos this morning, he's the priest who was appointed to Bethel by the king of Israel, right? So he owes his status, his prestige, his pay, his position. He owes it all to the king. And so Amos walks in and he pronounces this judgment on Israel. And Hezekiah goes, I'm going to go tell Jeroboam. Because this king needs to know there's this rabble-rousing prophet that needs to be taken control of. Because, see, the the secular cultures of the day who were not Israel or Judah believed that whatever a prophet spoke was not just repeating what God already was going to do. It was influencing the gods to do that thing. So when Amos prophesies the death of Jeroboam, when Amos prophesies the fall of Israel, he is making the death of Jeroboam and the fall of Israel happen according to their culture. He's making a threat against the king and kingdom. And so Azekiah kind of takes the selfish point of view. He says, okay, well, rather than investigate this to see if this is really what God says, he didn't even try to do that. He just said, that's bad news. I need to stop it. That makes me the villain. It must be wrong. So he runs to the king. And so we've got a little bit of a tattletale going on, but we look at this and we see that Azekiah was concerned with protecting his own status. Right? He had the position. He was the priest. He was the good guy. He definitely had the big old giant white 10-gallon Texas hat. Right? And yet somehow, God maybe was saying something different. When we offer repentance, it's really an uncomfortable thing. Or we kind of go halfway. I don't know about you, but when I try to apologize to Melanie, it doesn't always sound sincere. It's like, well, I'm sorry you're upset. Right? I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm sorry that you feel like I was wrong. I'm sorry that my best of intentions didn't work out. There are those terms and conditions. I think we do the same thing with God. I think we look at God and go, well, God, you know my heart. You know that I meant to do what was right. It just didn't work out. 
Well, God, you know that I, I, I try to do the good thing, and I just, I just didn't notice that person that really needed my help. You know I would have stopped if I had noticed them. I only sort of noticed them a little bit. It's just that I was late. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know about you, but this is, this is a hard thing for me. To be able to say, I was wrong, and then stop talking. To recognize when you have been the villain. Because we can talk about sin in a lot of different ways, and we talk about the communion table as a way of seeking repentance and forgiveness from sin. But we've got this idea somehow, somewhere, that sin is just a list of things that we do sometimes. Right? So as long as you aren't the Israelites and you're not defiling the altar, and you're not physically shutting people out of your way, you must be okay. You haven't done anything that's on the list. But I would say a lack of compassion is sin. And we see specific examples of that in Scripture, but it's a lot broader than that. It's a lot more comprehensive than that. It's, it's how you see other people, not just what you do. And so I've been really challenged with this, trying to figure out, like, okay, what good things have I left undone because I was selfish? That's a question you can think about for years. What good might God have called me to that I walked past? Maybe we start repenting of those sins as well. And so I think that's, I I say this frequently, but this is why I love taking communion, is because it gives me this chance to say, I know there are things in the last, well, 12 hours, let alone week, that I need to repent of. And so we come to this table. And we come to it knowing that God's grace is new every morning. Our sin is not held against us forever. Forgiveness is offered freely because Christ died once for all. So when we come to this table, it's this this same table that we've been celebrating for decades and centuries and millennia. And we get to come and say, Father, I know we've done wrong. But I know you can help me to make it right. Help me to turn away from selfishness, from pride, from anger. Help me turn toward compassion and justice and peace.